So welcome to any visitors that are here today and also those of us that are, are joining us online. Um, we're going to be in, in Philippians uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 18. I'll just give you a second to turn there. Um, not going to read the whole thing ahead of time. We'll just go through it as we, we have been doing. So Philippians 1, verse 18. So last week we heard a wonderful message from Pastor Roger in which he outlined the overall idea of Philippians, which is that, and this is from verse 6 of chapter 1, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is amazing to think that, that the God that created the heavens and the earth also works in us. It's a good work at that. He will complete it through Jesus. We're not on our own. God is with us, not against us. This letter is known as the Epistle of Joy, and we could sure use some of that these days. Uh, furthermore, the Philippians are Paul's friends, and together they and us share in God's abundant love. And as most of us know, Aerosmith is going through a transitional process from Pastor Leland's ministry to whatever is next. We've been blessed so much in the process of the last 13 years. Uh, we've experienced God's love, but we've also grown in, as we learned last week, discernment and knowledge. I recall how many people, including me, had their minds and view of Scripture opened wide and expanded when Pastor Leland began teaching us about biblical hermeneutics. It was like the Bible came so much more alive and was more understandable, often for people that had been reading it for a long time. As our love abounds with God's truth, may we all realize that it's our mission for all of us to be leaders and witnesses in this next phase of Aerosmith Baptist Church. In 50 years, people can look back and hopefully see God in the plans and the decisions that we're making now. Going into the text a bit more now, as, as we know, uh, there was a, a city in northern Greece called Philippi, and Paul, on his second missionary journey, founded a church there that he came to love very much. It's evident in his letter. And then 12 years later, uh, he was in jail in Rome on trial for his life. In those intervening years, the church had supported Paul in his ministry financially more than any other church. They loved him as he was their apostle, and they held him in high esteem. When they found out that he was on trial for his life, they didn't disassociate with him to save their necks. Instead, they aligned themselves with him and sent off Epaphroditus with more gifts to support him. But Epaphroditus also brought bad news to Paul and Rome. He told them that back in the church there are enemies of the cross who are threatening the faith of the believers. And they hear that Paul is in prison and on trial for his very life. And they don't know if he's ever going to come back and help. They are very distraught. If the enemies attack at home and the apostle dies in Rome, what would happen to the gospel in that new church? So Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, which is largely about joy and trials. 
Now, speaking of joy and trials, I noticed last week in the notes in my Bible uh, that the last time we heard that this text preached was in September of 2014. And specifically, September 22nd, 2014, was the 14th anniversary of Tanya and I getting baptized at that time. Uh, this was also when myself and the rest of the teachers in BC were coming off a five-month-long teacher strike. Now, at that time, um, I had been, I'm not going to do air quotes, but say blessed, <laughs> to be able to dig perimeter drains by hand and repair the foundation of Chris and Perry Admiral's heritage. Now, if you've ever dug perimeter drains, any holes at all around here, you might ask, like, how is that a blessing? Well, first of all, they were generous enough to pay me, which really helped us financially, since teachers had gone almost six months without teaching. Secondly, digging around that house and repairing that 100-year-old foundation was definitely a trial. But the physical work and the mental and emotional catharsis that it provided was a joy. So was the knowledge that God provided basically exactly the amount of money that we needed. Plus, it allowed me to burn off lots of anger and frustration while I was down in that hole sweating and digging. Right, Chris? Paul seems to understand that God often works his best work when things are not going the way that we'd prefer or desire. Now into verse 18. He begins with, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's yes here refers back to his previous statement in verse 18a that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's telling us, and the early church, that no matter what is happening, remember he was in prison, that we should proclaim Christ. Pastor Roger talked last week about the, the wax in the cracks of our sun-tested lives. God will not allow those to continue. The rejoicing Paul talks about over and over is not the shallow, happy, clappy version of joy that is fleeting. It is the kind of joy that can only be found in knowing who God truly is. In James 1, verse 2, we read to, quote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And it says it's when trials come, not if. Verse 19 says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says that he is certain that through the prayers of his good friends in Philippi, and with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, that he will be delivered sometimes forget how much prayer actually goes into this Christian life. We seem to think that if we don't see immediate results, that it's been fruitless. I had a friend in high school named Rick, who's he's now a pastor in southern Alberta. And at the time in high school, he invited me to youth group and other things. And I continually told him off, and even mocked him at times embarrassing to admit now, but that's where I was. He said he'd pray for me. Well, 
That happened in the mid-1980s. His prayers did not come to fruition, I think, until 12 years later, in the year 2000, which I mentioned previously was when Tanya and I came to faith. Paul might have been thinking of, of deliverance from his cell, or it might have been for eternity. Uh, many commentators think that, he, that Paul left it ambiguous on purpose, because we need deliverance day to day, and we also need it for eternity. Paul's message is full of hope and encouragement for today and 10,000 years. Verse 20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's passion and purpose is that Jesus would be glorified in his life and accompanying trials. Paul is also full of hopeful expectation and is not down in the mouth about the purpose of trials. The concept of shame is usually attached to when we've been wronged somehow, but also when we've failed at some type of performance. For example, if we try to paint a picture or build something or compete in a sport or achieve something academically and we fail, we might feel Therefore, the opposite of shame is typically that we think we should have been or could have been successful in those pursuits, whatever they were. In Paul's words, though, he says that the opposite of shame is that even when we fail, which is common, that Jesus would be glorified in our failure. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever we eat or drink, or whatever we do, should do for the glory of God. People should see him in us when we do not achieve what the world thinks we should. It's often in our trials how we react to things that show our walk. When my mom was sick and passing away, and then when Tanya's dad was sick and passing away, I had two separate colleagues, each of those times, comment to me on how differently we handled those events, compared to other people that they'd seen lose something. Now the only reason, of course, that we were able to deal with that the way that we did is because of Jesus, his assurances of being everything for his followers. We should not be looking for man's approval in what we do, because those standards are wrong in terms of the outcome. We need to have God's standards in mind all of us. Now, verse 21 is the most important statements probably in all of the Bible. For me to live is Christ, to die is King. This is one of the strongest contrarian messages in all of Scripture, especially for entitled and spoiled North Americans. We are told by our culture constantly to, quote, be all we can be, and to have it your way and to live your best life, that it's your time, etc. Paul says that to gain all of this life and not have Jesus is 100% loss. There's no trailer hitch on a hearse. When Apple Computer's founder Steve Jobs died a few years ago, he left behind a fortune of $100 billion, 
Not one cent went with them. Every other belief system is about trying to do and be the best that we can in this life to assure the next life. Christians are never promised an easy or fulfilling life here. Jesus said in Luke 21 that, quote, they will lay your hands on you and persecute you, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, among other things. It's the opposite of what the world suggests. That's not saying that if we happen to have a good life here that it's bad, but rather that our riches are in heaven. Also, death is not a threat for us, but rather an opportunity to show those around us the hope that we have in Him. In these days of a pandemic, and every other day, we should not be afraid of dying, because that gives us the chance to show one more person that Jesus overcame death defeated sin, and paved the way to eternity with God for those that believe. The wages of sin is death for everyone, but in this case, death is a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel, just like Paul did 2,000 years ago. All of the things that we hear today about extended lifespans and that 60 is the new 40 are sort of fine temporarily, but we cannot mistake the riches of heaven for a few years. Verse 22 continues with, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now to understand this passage, I will I'll try to connect a few of them. So most of us, if you look back at the beginning of verse 21, live as Christ. Most of us have some years to live. Even the oldest among us have to ask the question, how shall I magnify Christ my body this afternoon, tonight, at work this week? So Paul says, to be to live is Christ. What does he mean by that? The explanation is kind of in verse 22. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It's kind of a strange way to explain for me to live as Christ. But to me to live as Christ substituted by for me to live is fruitful labor. What he's saying is if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. This means, of course, labor related to the gospel. From preaching to cleaning the toilets and everything in between. We should all be involved in something Related to growing and sharing the gospel. That's really the only reason we're here. Everything else that a church does can be done by a social club, but sharing the hope and eternal consequences of the gospel is the exclusive property of Christ's people. The last part of the verse indicates that Paul is not totally certain what his labor will look like. It's dynamic and it evolves, as does our role in the body. Nowhere, however, does he talk about posting or not having a role, unless perhaps maybe just for a season. There's really no permanent retirement in God's kingdom. Verse 23, Paul says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. How exactly are we going to magnify 
Christ's death. How can we die so that in our dying, the value and the magnitude of Jesus Christ will be visible? Paul's answer is this. If you believe in your heart, if you really believe that to die is gain, you'll magnify Christ in your dying. That's kind of an incredible command and responsibility to how we should handle our death if given the chance, of course. You know, some of us have been to visit Hugo recently, and I, and I think of him, how he's handling his, his dwindling days. And it's been very inspirational to see how he just gets closer to God all the time. He said, Paul says in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul is wrestling with success and life here, sorry, success and life here and dying in Christ. That is an amazing statement. Better than all those friends, better than being married and having wonderful children, for me, better than seeing the Rough Riders win multiple great cups, or even playing sports games at all these days. Better than being able to eat whatever you want and still be healthy. Better than being successful at your job or business. Better than retirement and grandchildren. Infinitely better, as far as Paul was concerned. The other angle on this <clears throat> is that many of us have would perhaps prefer to leave this life, this life now and be with Jesus now. Uh, much of the time now, and for most of my life, I sort of feel like I don't belong here, that there's something missing. I'm aware now that those in Christ were not made for this life, but rather for the next one. I have often thought, especially in the last while, with all the craziness that's been happening, it would be really great to not have to deal with all that this life entails. No, it's not a cry for help or anything. As much as any of us would like to be at God's throne right now, we still have lots of work to do for Him with joy. Verse 24, Paul says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul encourages a life of service here when he says to remain in the flesh. He means in his body, alive, as well as, quote, in this world of sin and trial, which is, of course, our flesh. He would love to go home and be with Jesus, but he prefers, out of service, to help his brothers and sisters. This also makes Christianity different than every other belief. Since we must serve others, with zero promise of direct reward for our works. We don't serve to gain Jesus' favor. We serve and sacrifice because we already have it. We cannot work our way into God's kingdom, which is contrary to what the world thinks. We discussed recently in youth group in the book of James that on the cross, Jesus paid the full price. He also knew what who he was buying. So in a way, what we do doesn't really do anything other than how we're responding. We should remember that every person we meet or know needs to know Jesus if they don't already. 
This is why we should desire to represent him to the best of our ability every day that we're here, just like Paul. Verse 25, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul tells his friends that he is certain that he should stay with them, continue to focus on his work and service here. A famous verse from Hebrews 12 states that, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Wow. He knows that God leaves saved people here for a reason. I've often wondered that. Why not take someone home as soon as they're saved? Because we're his hands and feet and mouth to those who have not yet heard. Incredible that 2,000 years later, Paul's example and our mission remains the same. He also talks about progress or movement, not perfection. We discussed that in youth group recently too. That God's kingdom here is about progress, not perfection. That does not come until later. We cannot even really imagine what it would be like to keep us striving in that direction. And Paul, I'm sorry, and if Paul can have joy in the faith, not earthly things, then we should too. We have to keep our eyes and hearts focused on the right thing. So then he says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's humble example. He had lots of cause to be arrogant, giving his background, well-known miraculous conversion. He shows his friends in Philippi, and us, that Jesus can and does work in the most amazing circumstances. Prison could not stop Paul. COVID and church transition cannot stop us when God is for us. It might not look like what we expect, but he is in charge. We should give Jesus all of the glory for whatever it is that happens. Our, our encouragement comes from him, not from our own success or accomplishment. Paul is revisiting people that he saw before. His story, which is really God's story, cannot be denied. Many of us here have said before that the one thing that doubters of Christianity cannot, quote, explain away is a Christian's story of how Jesus worked in their life. Most of the time, there are parts of the plot that don't make sense and are, thing, are not things that people would choose. Never be shy about sharing what Jesus has done in your life. He continues with, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Of course, typical of Paul, he then shoots us right in the bullseye. He says, sure, glorify him, but also be sure to live according to his standards. We must live a worthy life, which is basically impossible on our own. The number one objective is to live a life of sacrifice, which is sort of attainable, but certainly not easy. 
the other Christ-like character traits, I'll give you just a short list that we are to pursue. Humility, sacrifice, gentleness, hope, encouragement, discernment, love, patience, wisdom, good luck. With his help, of course, we can try to get there. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of God. Paul is not sure if he's going to be able to go see them directly, but he knows that their lives and examples will spread for people to hear, just like we're hearing about them now. Aerosmith has been around for over 50 years. We have a reputation, just like all churches do. And we're in the process of deciding what the next 50 will look like. Thankfully, we've got the bylaws done, so none of us has to think about that for a while. Good help. Their story of unity and steadfastness in God focused on Jesus will spread. Like I said before, we're here for the gospel and nothing else. Probably most of us would not even really know each other if not for the gospel and Paul's message. It's incredible. Verse 28 says, Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, not from God. We are to be brave and courageous with his strength. We are going to face more and more opposition in the next while. Jesus has always been a threat to those in power that do not know him. Our example and the way that we live is threatening because it is not of this world. Tanya and I, likely you, have met some people over the years that we could easily tell that they were immediately repulsed by us being Christians. It was spiritual and obvious. Now, I've repulsed people before that weren't Rough Rider fans, but this was different. Jesus said that his gospel would divide, as in Luke 12 and Matthew 10. And we are going to see more and more of that. It's an incredible opportunity, though, since there are so many people that are hurting and looking for something, but don't even know what. And I know that because that was me 22 years ago. Hurting and looking, but not really sure. Verse 29, Paul said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. God does not promise life of leisure for us here. We often have unmet expectations about this life. It makes us whine about things not being fair. If we follow Christ, we will have troubles. There are hundreds of examples of people around the world being persecuted, killed for Jesus right now. And our time is coming too. Being a Christian in North America is no longer socially acceptable and will soon be an act of rebellion. But like the fighter pilot getting shot at, we should rejoice when we're taking fire because that means we're on target. If everything is smooth, we're no threat to anyone. But keep in mind that we're suffering for the cause of Christ, not for our own gains. We should not glorify and martyrdom, but in him. Now finally in verse 30, 
Paul says, we're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. He finishes by referring to the fact that Jesus' followers always have, always will have, the same battle. He assured that it's not people we're fighting, but rather, as Romans 5, 7 tells us, our adversary is the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's never going to stop until Jesus returns. We always talk about it being, quote, worse now, and I suppose that in some ways things have been magnified and accelerated by social media, etc. But the spiritual battle has never changed. We are in an exciting time of transition in our church and society, and with that is going to come battle. May we never tire, nor lose sight of the goal. Like an athlete, or a laborer, or an artist, or a parent, or a student, or a member of God's kingdom here on earth, let us never stop striving and battling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for who you are. I thank you, God, for using Paul in such a mighty way. It's amazing to think, Lord, that there were soldiers chained to him and heard him reciting these words. And who knows what happened to them? But today, as we go about our lives, I pray that we would be that same kind of example, that no matter what's happening in our lives, whether it's good or bad or even indifferent, that people would see you in our actions and our words, things we don't say, things we don't do. So I thank you, God, for the chance that we could meet here freely like this. Lord, I pray now that as we respond to you with singing, that it be your words and your thoughts that would be deep into our hearts and carry us through the days ahead.